the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you know it's going to be a long uh, gospel reading when someone catches you uh, in the procession line and says, have you seen this gospel you're going to have to read? So it may not be your first uh, guess uh, from looking at me, um, but in my childhood, my greatest dream and my biggest desire was to play in the NBA. And I really thought for a while that it was going to happen. And I got really, really dedicated. I had this basketball goal. Uh, Stop laughing at me. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, But I had this basketball goal, basketball goal, on my driveway, and I committed myself, I committed myself to shooting a thousand shots a day. I really believed that this was the recipe uh, to get into the NBA. And my whole life was really, uh, you know, when I wasn't in school, it was taken up with basketball. I was uh, collecting basketball cards and uh, wearing basketball clothing, and the things that I wanted were basketball jerseys. I just, I, I really, really loved basketball. And like any kid who grew up in uh, the 90s, I loved Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And most often, the reason why I missed my bedtime as a child was because the third or fourth quarter had just lasted a little bit too long, and I really wanted to stay up and to see if my team would win. Now, my parents were in town uh, last week, And it had been quite some time since I had watched television uh, with them, but I was reminded last week as my mother and I watched a few movies why she made watching basketball uh, so fun. My dad and I are um, both very cool, calm, and collected. You know, we're not going to make any decisions on the end of the game until the end of the game, right? But my mom... The whole game is panic, right? I mean, just from the very first shot, she is on the edge of her seat and she is screaming at the TV and filled with anxiety because the team is certainly going to lose if the other team scores a bucket, even one. And I was reminded of this this week as I was sitting there uh, watching some movies with my mom as she shouted at the TV, no, don't do that. Don't make that decision. You're going the wrong direction. It really makes it a lot of fun. And I thought I was more like my dad. But it turns out there is a little piece of me that is very much like my mother. Because as I read the lectionary passage this week, I found myself screaming at the page. I mean, not out loud, but like metaphorically, I was just going, this story should be so simple, right? This is how the the story should last two verses. Jesus meets blind man. (laughs) Jesus heals the blind man. Everyone's excited, right? Like that's how the story should read. And it's frustrating that for 41 verses, no one is excited, They're all just wanting to quiz this man. Who's done this to you? Who has committed this healing against you? Who has opened your eyes? They're bringing him before religious leaders. They're going and visiting his parents. That's got to be the biggest overreach in Scripture. Like, the whole thing is just strange. And I found myself sitting on the edge of my seat going, Why are you doing that? That's the wrong decision. Don't go in that direction. 
Turns out I'm a lot more like my mom than I like to admit. So this passage starts out in a way that is um, confusing. Jesus and his disciples are traveling and they encounter this man who has been blind from birth. And the disciples ask a question. They ask Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? In other words, whose sin has caused this affliction? And as a person who grew up in a community uh, that oftentimes believed that this was the way that God interacted with people, that, that people were punished with physical ailments because of wrongdoing, I literally recoiled from the page when I read it this week. This is certainly not the way that God works, and the canon of Scripture certainly does not support the idea that God afflicts us with physical ailments because of our sin. And thankfully, thankfully, Jesus begins to answer in this vein. But as I read Jesus' answer, I became equally dissatisfied with what he had to say. And that's a strange thing for a preacher to say. But Jesus answers by saying this, neither. Neither this man or his parents have sinned. But instead, this man was born blind in order to display the works of God. Is this how God works? Are you and I or anyone else saddled with blindness just in case Jesus happens to walk by in our lifetime so that others can see us be healed? And what does this say for all of the people who Jesus never walked by, who were just an opportunity for God to show God's works, but the Savior never crossed their path? I think this opening paragraph leads us or leaves us with more questions than it does answers. And I think it's our first hint. It's our first hint that this passage is actually not at all about physical blindness. And what is it about? Jesus and his disciples interact, encounter this man who has been blind from birth. And Jesus does maybe the single grossest thing in all of Scripture. He spits into the mud, and he picks up that mud, and he smears it on this man's face, and he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash. And the, the, the implied message here is that if you will go and do this, you will be healed. And so the man does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. And lo and behold, his eyes are opened. And again, it seems like when he returns, everyone's going to be excited except the people begin to have disagreements. Is this even the guy? Or maybe this is just a guy that looks like the guy, but surely this is not the person who was here, blind and begging for the last 10, 15, 20 years. And so the people decide that they're going to take this man in front of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And this is not a strange practice, right? We see this in other passages like the healing of the lepers. And so they take this man to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees don't like what has happened either. And they don't seem to be upset that the man has been healed from his blindness, but more so they seem to be upset that this healing and the making of mud has taken place on the Sabbath when no work is being done or should be done. 
And so they begin to be divided. If Jesus is actually from God or not, if he is a sinner, if he was wrong for breaking the law to do a good work and to heal this man. And then the story grows even stranger. Then they drag this man's parents into it. They go and ask this adult man, (laughs) parents, if they can confirm his identity. And they do that. And the parents really don't want to get involved. They're like, yeah, 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 he's our son. Yes, he is blind or has been blind from birth, but he's of age. They're afraid. Go take this up with him. We don't want to get involved, and we certainly don't want to be pushed out of the synagogue. And so they return to this man, and they begin to ask him the same questions over and over and over again, hoping to get a different answer. But they don't. And when he implies that he is a disciple of Jesus, they drive him out of the synagogue. And finally, we get a second interaction with Jesus. But this time, Jesus asks the man these questions. Tells him, Do you believe that I am the Son of Man? And the man answers, Yes, I believe And he begins to worship Jesus. What's interesting is much like our story from last week, the woman at the well, Jesus never offers this man forgiveness. He never says that he's done anything wrong. And in order to heal him from his physical blindness, he does not ask him to believe first in order to receive. It's this second interaction some time later where Jesus asks this question. And so I don't think this passage is about physical blindness at all. And there's this portion at the end that kind of ties up the whole story, that draws some contrast between physical and spiritual blindness. And I think that message is there for us too. But I think that this message or this story is so long and so filled with details that we might have missed a second miracle that's happened in the background. And that's kind of the way that Scripture happens. Sometimes there's just too much detail and too much drama, too much division and so much question that we might just miss the work of God happening in plain view if we're not paying attention. And so I want to draw your attention to three separate questions that this man is asked after he is healed. He is asked three separate times, either who is Jesus or where Jesus has come from. And even though Jesus has had the power to heal him, his first answer when he is asked is, he's a prophet. Not willing to go the entire distance in that first answer. He's a prophet. So much more question, so much more division, so much more drama happens until he is asked again. But this time, he moves a little bit further to the inevitable answer. And instead of saying he is a prophet, he says, this man, this Jesus, was sent from God. And lastly, asked one more time, this time by Jesus himself, do you believe that I am the Son of Man? He finally answers, Lord, I believe. Physical blindness, that's easy. But spiritual blindness, that takes time. It takes the messiness of life. 
It takes more than walking just the step that we are in. And suddenly the story speaks much more universally to us than to any of us who have ever been actually healed from physical blindness. Who's been healed from physical blindness? All right, well, we got one. With a LASIK? Okay. Okay. So one person this morning out of maybe 120, right, has had this kind of experience. Which is why these stories in the Bible seem so foreign to us sometimes. Because so often the miraculous does not take place in our lives in the way that it happens in the Scripture. And we begin to believe that God's power only exists in a way that can happen in ancient times. And yet, stories like this, with the universal invitation to heal all of our physical blindness, God becomes immediately accessible to each of us, into our lives, to do exactly the thing that you and I need most. Which is to have our eyes open, to see the world as it truly is, to see God as God truly is. And when we do that, we begin to see ourselves and the rest of the world more clearly by having our eyes opened to the reality of Jesus Christ. And so we are reading this story, this story, this encounter in the season of Lent. And so my challenge to you today is as you walk with Jesus through this season of Lent, may you hear His voice beckoning you, calling you, Asking you, saying, do you believe that I am the Son of Man? And may our answer be, just as the blind man, yes, Lord, I believe. Amen.